0: Voting on end-of-life choice. We will fight this through to the referendum. Sweeping education changes. There are concerns. And New Zealand's newest political party.
1: The
2: Greens should be worried.
3: Kia ora and welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's a weekly catch-up where we discuss all of the political stories we've been covering this week. I'm Mikey Sherman. I'm Benedict Collins, and I'm Katie Bradford. Feel free to join in, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anytime. So uh, we've got the new trio on deck. Last week it was Benedict and Katie, and now I'm back, and so the new three amigos are heading into Christmas mm. for a few yeah. weeks, anyway. For a few weeks, <laughs> anyway, until until I take <laughs> off and uh, join and it's just the Benny much and Katie on, show again. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, on, on maternity leave. Kids. Um, so anyway, let's get straight into our peaks and pits uh, for the week, the highs and the lows. Benedict, do you want to kick us off? What was your
0: pit? Yeah, okay, got a pit for us this week. So I um, was trying to pick up a um, uh, or help a um, reporter up in Auckland yesterday who was working, um, having a look at that new epilepsy drug and doing a track on that. And we thought, oh, hey, we'll go along to select committee. Um, uh, Ministry of Health came along for their annual review and got sort of grilled by um, politicians for an hour but tried to just pick up a quick soundbite from the um, the boss, the Ministry of Health, Dr Ashley uh, Bloomfield, um, but he refused to answer any media questions uh, whatsoever after their annual review. That's pretty piss poor for a guy on more than 600k, uh, you know, up there with Housing New Zealand's Andrew McKenzie. Um, well, not quite that bad yet, but, you know, just...
1: Well, think, it's quite common for them than, to stop know, and talk afterwards. Especially after they the know annual review, that, right? right? They know yeah. that. That media want to talk to them after they've yeah. been at select committee. It's a public space. Often, it's the only chance we have to actually get them. Because you can never stop them and grab them. They never front... They very, really front up on issues. It's
3: yeah. what the one yeah. chance. Just
0: gorging at just the taxpayer it. trough. It's yeah. not and, too and much to answer a couple of the questions. Especially
3: with a big issue like the epilepsy one. Yeah, you'd or, think that the, he would expect or, to be stopped for questions. Yeah, or the DHB, DHB deficits, deficits, right? Exactly. Which is what he
0: was... Um, which um, Jason Walls at the Herald, was hoping just to ask him a few questions about that. Um, some of the new sort of revelations around those um, those deficits. You know, pretty, pretty poor. Yeah, piss
3: yeah. poor. You heard it here first, guys. <laughs> Katie, <laughs> what's your pit
1: this week? Uh, probably, uh, I'm going to do my pit and peek around the same thing, and that's around the OCR. So I think for the economists who all predicted that it was going to drop again, there are probably some red faces in that sense because there were some people who were pretty sure it was going to go down again. Uh, and uh, Adrian Orr took them by surprise by keeping it as it is. Uh, and so I think um, I think his stance is interesting in the sense that he's uh, he's come out with the peak, my peak in terms of he's saying the economy is tracking along. Okay, let's take a look at it. Let's keep it as it is. Let's see how those low interest rates go and uh look at it again in the new year and
0: will you have a red face early next year if they don't don't cut it because I did say (laughs) they're going to cut it early (laughs) next year but I I
1: I, and the first half of next year I'll say right now (laughs) that in the first half of of next year pretty sure they cut it again and And you heard it again (laughs) here first folks
3: Um, my pit this week has to go to New Zealand first a bit of taste of their own medicine I thought this week finally New Zealand first was on the receiving end uh, of the coalition smackdown and that was basically Labour pulling the reins back pulling the handbrake up on an unsound idea which was uh, the visa partnerships um, the interesting thing with that though I think is that uh, New Zealand first kind of got off the hook a little bit in terms of bearing much of the of the brunt or pub publicity um, to do with that little smackdown it didn't sort of go as big as as we ha- would have would have expected normally because basically it was just delay after delay expecting the announcement it was delayed we were told you know tomorrow then the next day then the next day and then by the time they brought it out yesterday there was so much going on at Parliament that it kind of flew a little bit under the radar, unfortunately, with, because with they don't usually like also taste of mm, their own medicine. But also, first.
1: Shane Jones himself clearly had the smackdown because he was uh, both on this and on the moving the port to Northland. Uh, for someone who's not normally shy of expressing his opinion, he'd clearly been told off by uh, yes. the bosses and told to keep his opinions to himself and he to buy, he was found it very difficult to bite his tongue, but he said, I've been told, I've been told by the bosses, <laughs> no, I don't have an opinion on these, I'm just going <laughs> to let <laughs> He was very subdued
3: <laughs> yeah. on the
0: bridge yesterday. Speaking of New Zealand first, what have you guys made of the um, the court case up in Auckland with Winston um, versus National and MSD and the State Services Commission? I see now he's dropped
3: um, Paula Bennett
0: Paula and Tolly and, and out of that. Um, you know, he's not, suing them yeah. he's not suing them anymore. anymore yeah. so he's dropped nearly. You know, because for a long time he's accusing National. Now he's dropped them all. Um, you and know, he's just
3: going after MSD. Yeah, uh, and, and um, I thought and the there's office. been some
0: pretty. Um, you know, sort of fascinating reporting from that, with you know, Winston always claiming that um, his partner Jan Trotman was there with him at MSD, and all these MSD officials, no, nah, she wasn't there, she wasn't there. Um, also, another fascinating thing: Winston having told us repeatedly that it was demonstrably wrong that he repaid eighteen thousand dollars that he paid we, uh, this week. And we it had was it just under eighteen. It was, it was seventeen thousand nine hundred ninety something dollars. <laughs> um, cheeky. Not
1: eighteen thousand, Benedict.
0: Yeah, very cheeky. Uh, what were your guys' thoughts?
1: about the court case or yeah. about yeah I, I think the dropping and Tolly Paula Bennett interesting, is interesting because he's he all along was saying yeah. that he thought it was them and that they were they were behind this so something's gone on in that court case that's made him realise nah, I'm
3: just going to take a step back here
0: well he's saying it's because MSD didn't push back mm-hmm. and, and blame them right?
3: Yeah. It's, it's going to be interesting because this, this decision, whatever is decided, will basically cut to the heart of this whole "no surprises" yeah. um, policy yeah. for for governments. You know, that's what ministers expect. They want to be told when things that potentially could come up on their radar. Arguably, this could have because journalists were obviously told it was an election year, when St. It was very close to the figure. election. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how they how they rule on this one.
0: Yeah, and if it, if he loses, it'll be interesting to see if um, they go after him for costs. Mm. Be interesting seeing, um, you know, Crown Law trying to get whether it will be Crown Law, but you know, going after the Deputy Prime Minister for because it could add up to a, a whole heap of money.
1: Um, wouldn't be the first time he's faced it,
0: <laughs> no? Hey, and um. Uh, My peak for the week, or not sure it's a peak, but I just thought it was really interesting. And that was the government on Monday coming out with um, firearms prohibition orders um, to target our most violent criminals, to stop them associating with people or being in the same vicinity as guns. Of course, National's been trying to push um, firearms prohibition orders, and the government's rejected them um, repeatedly. But what I thought was kind of interesting about it was talking to the um, – you talked to the Civil um, Liberties guys, and that they were saying, well, you know, this gives the police powers to search people without warrants, without that oversight. You know, is this really a step we want to be taking? And, and anyone who's around them as well could be searched and stuff like that. And then we talked to um, – Chris Carhill at the Police Association, you say, well, well, the great things about these is they can really disrupt people's lives. Um, you know, these bad guys, the the top twenty or perhaps several hundred most violent offenders, it really disrupts their lives. You know, you can sort of, you know, disrupt their social lives, stuff like that. And I just started to wonder, you know, is this just more of a harassment technique? And he was saying, oh, yeah, you don't need that solid proof that there's actually a gun there. It's like, well, that's shouldn't it yeah, have that's been a kind really of point? Interesting, <laughs> yeah. that's
3: a point? is really interesting to take, That that's a good thing, to be yeah. able to just go ahead and disrupt people's lives without evidence or anything like that. Yeah, and I think um,
0: especially after, you know, you, you need checks and balances here with the police. Just recently you had a police officer leave the force after he got caught um, with numerous methamphetamine point bags hidden in his vest that he was basically um, dumping in people's cars to stitch them up. Um, uh, you know pretty disturbing behaviour there so to take away more safeguards on the police i don't think it's the way to go
3: and when we're talking about those issues, and you know human rights, Bill of Rights issues um, there, which the government obviously acknowledges exists when you're looking at that issue, on one hand you could say, yes, it's important that we go to the public and get their opinion on that kind of a decision. On the other hand, though, you've, you've got to sort of look in and be like, Jesus, is the government just following in national's footsteps, e.g. taking the easy way out? Oh, let's put out some ideas for see public they... feedback. E.g. let's just test the waters so we don't have to sort of commit to anything ourselves. And we could just walk Walk it back if no one really likes it. Well, they've been doing that on a lot of things, and, haven't they? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah.
0: And yeah. you also, you see with Simon Bridges, right, repeatedly kind of saying soft on crime, soft on gangs, blah, blah, blah. You wonder if it's a bit of a reaction to yeah. that as well, yeah. you know, trying to, um, sh- you know, try and take that attack line a bit away from him that maybe they feel it's damaging them.
3: Now in terms of soft on crime, my pick this week is the Justice Minister and his new <laughs> Twitter handle name. No, it's not his new drag queen name, but this is uh, Andrew Little's Twitter handle from this morning. It was only up for a few hours, so those of us lucky enough to uh, be on Twitter uh, constantly uh, noticed it. But it was changed to Andrew Daddy Thick Snack Little. And I kid you not, that was not a hack. It was the Minister's office or him even um, who changed his Twitter handle name as a bit of a bit of a poke of fun uh, at some comments that were made um, regarding him this morning, um, but uh, funnily enough, uh, he's taken it down, and I think probably a phone call minister's from got a phone call from someone saying uh, maybe that's not appropriate for yeah. a Minister of the crown. I really did enjoy though, walking into work this morning, having just seen the minister's uh, new Twitter handle, and then I bumped into his press secretary, and the first thing I asked her was, "How's Daddy?" <laughs> <On> <laughs> <that> <laughs> no? <laughs> on that note, let's get into some serious stories. A big, big, big topic here last night at Parliament, which was, of course, the third and final reading of the euthanasia debate. Let's take a look at our track on that. A last-ditch attempt at Parliament urging MPs to vote no on assisted dying.
1: Once it becomes possible
3: for
0: this to happen, the pressure will go on other people.
1: The
3: decision will not be theirs. The decision will be done for them. I think it will undermine the whole fabric of society. It's just like
1: having suicide with a certificate to say that you can.
3: For Claire Freeman, the debate is close to home. Tetraplegic at 17, she made multiple suicide attempts when a psychiatrist suggested assisted dying overseas.
2: I thought, right, well, that's, that's something I'll, I'll, I'll do because, I mean, here's the psychiatrist telling me to do it.
3: She also acknowledges the issue of persuasion is a big concern. Yeah, there's definitely going to be a problem with coercion. But the pro-euthanasia camp argue there'd be
2: adequate safeguards. I just urge people to please just actually read the wording of the bill and see how restrictive it is. Shirley Seals is the mother of
3: euthanasia advocate Lucretia Seals, who died in 2015. Her family at Parliament today hoping to witness history. Yeah, I'm, I'm nervous. MPs are also nervous, that's because the last vote was so close with just six votes separating those for and against the bill with some MPs changing their minds at the last minute Those leading the debate not willing to call it
2: We will be staying paranoid until we get every single vote counted If it comes down to it, uh, we will fight this through to the referendum
3: Back outside it was a mix of old and young, including this group who drove from Palmerston North. Why not? This is one of the most important days of
0: our history. And this rhetoric of human rights is so important we think the number one human right is the right to life.
3: Meanwhile MPs having their final say.
2: This bill dims the privilege of care. We've significantly strengthened the safeguards.
3: On this long, highly charged debate. So that track obviously um, uh, took place before the final vote was counted. Um, And the final vote, of course, was 69 votes in favour, 51 against. So that bill passed. It will now go um, to a nationwide referendum at next year's election alongside cannabis. A big, big political win last night for Act Leader David Seymour. This has been his political baby. He's been pushing it for many years. It's the fourth time um, that a euthanasia bill has come before Parliament. The first three times it came up got shot down um, but you know this the, the one man band managed to um, get it across the line last night kudos.
1: Yeah I mean he wouldn't have got it across the line, Oh, he may still have got it across the line without that referendum but it made it a lot more certain there didn't it? It yes. could have very well been 60 votes. Uh, it could have been tied if they hadn't had that referendum. Which so again shows the, the power, the power that New Zealand, New Zealand First has. Yeah. <coughs> um, and of course, you know, it felt like I, I stayed and watched the vote and saw it and there were a lot of celebrations there. Um, the public gallery wasn't as packed as I thought it might be. There were actually lots of empty seats, which was interesting because we'd been told, you know, there was so much interest there were going to be so many people here. Um, and I think while everyone was celebrating, of course, it's a big, big moment for David Seymour. Actually, they now go into this battle for the next year over this referendum. Maggie Barry last night said it's war. She's you know, she's retiring at the election. What she's going to spend the next year doing is actually just fighting and fighting in the referendum and getting that information out there to people. The public are going to have the say. And I think the concern with that is the rhetoric that goes on with it. We've already seen it about people saying you know, things about the bill that aren't true. And that's going to happen even more. That, that fake news stuff around what the, what, sort of stuff, what right? the bill actually... Yeah does uh, and, and, you know, it's a big issue and it's a controversial issue and it's a really tough one. And people should be worried about it and do worry about it. And if there's fake news out there about it, that that is, you know,
3: worrying. Well, which is why that um, new information office within, that's being set yeah. up within the Ministry of Justice, will be crucial um, going into next year's election. We sort of talk, spoke about it on the podcast here a couple of weeks back. But basically that office being set up within the ministry just to um, cipher through and, and to sift out um, the real from the fake on these issues. My
0: prediction is it'll be a lot less controversial in the referendum and it'll pass um, handsomely. I think it'll be a lot less controversial with the public than it is here at Parliament.
3: Yeah. Mm. You, and, and you're basing that, obviously, of some of the polls that we've seen yeah. numerous yeah. times. All,
0: all the time sitting pretty close to 75%, you know, and I think we've done four or five polls.
3: And and over the
0: years, years,
1: it's become more, more yeah. popular and more acceptable. Yeah. Um, than even over the past few years, those polls have mm. changed quite dramatically in terms of the support for it. Yeah,
3: Really interesting, yeah. though, to see those um, anti-protesters out mm. front of Parliament yesterday. And, you know, I found it really interesting to just go along and chat to them and sort of hear the concerns that they were raising. And if you sort of, you know, get that wave of voice and then you've got to think of all of the sort of um, churches and the money and the power and, and the numbers that they have, um, you know, what sort of influence will that play in a public debate? Um, Maggie Barry is that an unfair advantage? She's on her way out. She's going to spend the next year sort of making this her pet project um, when she doesn't have to worry about much else because yeah. I mean, she's, she's on her way she out. Said, this
1: is her. This is her. This is war. You know. this Is, is that all loser to? material though, guys? What do you What do you reckon well, about I think, that? I mean, I think the referendum in general is an interesting way. It feels like a bit of a cop out. I think because MPs are here to vote on these issues and they're tough issues and I know for a lot of them it was really hard about which way to vote and they, they do most of them do take it really seriously but it's their job, they're in a really privileged position they have been voted in by the public to make decisions on things and what they're doing here is handing it off back yeah, off but, to the parliament but it is the very public.
0: consistent with New Zealand First's oh, of course. position yeah. on kicking you know sort of um, conscience, issues to touch. conscience issues, no to referenda yeah, right, and, and, and letting the public have their say um, that's, that's pretty solid their position on
1: On most conscience issues,
0: Issues, and on
3: that, I I wonder. You know, the next focus obviously will be um, the abortion law. You know, New Zealand first sort of um, hinted that they may want to see um, some sort of referendum on that. They haven't obviously made a call on it, but I wonder if. Well, Andrew Little's been quite firm that he's not going to let that happen in this one. Somebody said he would have been firm on lots (laughs) of things, but uh, you know, Andrew Daddy Thick Snack Little uh, can often show his soft side sometimes, as we've seen this morning. Jokes. Um, So, what else did we cover off this week? Education. Here we go. Let's take a look at tomorrow's school reform. Glenn Denham wants the best for his students, so like most principals today, he's been studying the country's biggest schooling shakeup in decades.
2: I don't think anybody would be jumping up and saying, hey, this is the panacea to all educational problems in New Zealand for the next 30 years, um, so um, there are concerns.
3: Concerns have plagued the educational reset from the beginning. The interim report prepared by an independent task force proposed to strip legal power from school boards to regional
2: they
0: identified a really good set of challenges and problems in their first report. I don't think they hit the nail on the head when it came to the
3: solutions. Those hubs scrapped today.
0: This is a humiliating back down by Chris Hipkins. You've got a situation where it was always mad to think that you could take away local control. I think what we're looking for here is making sure we get the right balance.
3: That balance seen as a new education service agency within the ministry, picking up powers like setting school zones
0: where the local population of a school is growing very fast, and we see that particularly in Auckland, um, some of those zones might have to be reduced in size.
3: A national code of conduct will be established for all boards of trustees and mandatory training could be in the pipeline.
0: The board role is an important role and if you don't know what you don't know, then you need to work out why you're there.
3: A new eligibility criteria will also be set for appointing principals while school property will largely be managed by the Ministry of Education, already raising eyebrows.
2: Their school is, if you like, their castle and having a say in what it looks like is really important to them. I don't want to ring someone and say, um, look, uh, uh, we want to do this at Massey High School and then find out I'm um, number 64 online. line.
3: Meanwhile, a disputes board to address complaints and appeals will also be established. It's for the serious end
0: of the complaints, so we're talking about stand-downs, suspensions.
3: Just one part of sweeping changes to our education system. I think what's interesting with this
1: is this is yet another issue where the government has gone out, done the public consultation, had these big, big ideas for massive changes, felt the heat on it and dialled it right back. This is a massive watering down on what they proposed. I went to some of those meetings in Auckland uh, that David Seymour organised about... uh, with school principals and others and there were so many people there and so many people really wound up about some of these issues and really concerned about it and the panel and the government have clearly listened to that and said okay we will make changes, they still say it's the biggest overhaul in 30 years but it is massively weakened, weakened from what was first proposed.
3: Yeah and I think when you look at some of those interim um, recommendations like stripping boards of all their legal powers, getting rid of ERO in terms of the reviews that they do on individual schools, some might argue that you know the government was right and that the Public sentiment was right, and that that it does go too far. I think it's always good, though, to sort of you know think big, go big. You can always scale it down, but it's good to sort of test the boundaries. Well, that's what they're doing. They're testing the waters, right? Yeah. They're saying, "Well, what you know?" What and it- if you're going to have a review have a good review.
0: One of the things I th- thought was interesting, they were talking about the disputes panel that parents and schools
3: oh, yeah. can yeah, yeah, have. Parents and students are going to get a lot of good use oh, out of that. Yeah. Aren't they? <laughs> not me. Not me personally. I've never had many big issues myself at, uh, at the old schools. But um, it's basically to, for those serious yeah, offences. Yeah. A lot of people don't like their principal, right. You know, They don't think their principals are doing a good job or their teachers aren't doing a good job. And, and a lot of the, of the times we see those issues being handled poorly. It's like those who are, are, are sort of Being targeted by the concerns, or or you know, on the receiving end of those concerns, are the ones actually undertaking the 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 reviews or the assessments. So you've got you know people being accused of poor behaviour or poor process, and they're the ones undertaking um, the reviews of those things. Because you're in a school, you've got limited funds to be able to contract and say an independent sort of assessor or reviewer. So you do it yourself. Everyone's volunteering, so you run into a bit of issues there. So to have an independent panel advisory board um, to be able to undertake those big ones will probably be a good thing
1: I think having a regional uh, we were saying a sort of regional group for deciding school zoning is going to be interesting how that's going to work and how schools feel when they lose that power to decide who is and isn't in their zone does it make it fairer? Uh, you know because you have a situation now where people can live a block away and not be in zone for one school and end up having to walk miles to go to the other school and so it'll be interesting to see how that works as well I think.
3: And because that's what the review found was that some schools were using it to sort of target mm. higher socioeconomic communities rather than it could be those right next door who are sort of poorer and, that, and that's why um, those disadvantaged children uh, were missing out or were sort of the most affected by these sort of schools deciding their own zones. So um, surely there'll be some resistance, uh, yeah. especially from those big schools who do like to have that power. It is a lot of power, um, but they're also be some cheers from parents who want to see a sort of more fairer um, distribution of, of the enrolment zones. Mm. This is 30 years since uh, tomorrow's school, over 30 years I think, since tomorrow's schools was introduced.
1: I remember getting the um, leaflet taken at home from school when I was young, I'm not going to say how old I was, but young, and saying to my dad, oh what's happening at school tomorrow? Because you know, it's yeah. like tomorrow's school. I thought there was something <laughs> exciting happening. He <laughs> <You're> was pretty bitterly <laughs> disappointed You're after
0: disappointed,
2: that, right? When he tried to explain to me what it was. Anyway, let's have a look at what happened back then. If the government wanted to launch an advertising campaign about a school that looks set to thrive under its new education policies, then this place would get star billing. It's Titarangi Primary School in West Auckland, a school that's largely monocultural, whose pupils tend to come from the higher end of the socioeconomic scale, and a school with a long tradition and community support. It's that commitment which makes both staff and parents feel optimistic about the school's future under a board of trustees system. Last year the school raised about around $41 per pupil, tangible proof of community commitment.
0: Waipoi, Edison.
2: As was the Board of Trustee elections, there were 17 candidates for five positions, the number required to be filled by parents. Irene Waipoi, a full-time mother, was the highest polling candidate.
0: I really don't know what's involved. I don't know the amount of
2: time that's involved. What would you like to achieve? It's all so much a trial, really, and really an experiment. And until you get
3: into it and work it, I don't think you can define anything differently now.
2: Helping the Titirangi board off to a roaring start is the second highest polling candidate, Chris Saunders. He's after more of the same. I don't see this as a, a great opportunity to radically change anything, not as far as the school's concerned. Last night, the board held its first meeting, electing Irene and Chris as chairwoman and secretary, respectively. Staff representatives and parents will spend the next few meetings nutting out the school charter. While the future looks bright, they all agree on one thing, that tomorrow's schools has brought a new dimension to education, uncertainty.
0: So I had a, um, an interesting weekend, I covered the launch, the official launch, I think it had been kind of soft launch a few times earlier, but the official launch of Sustainable New Zealand, our newest political party, let's have a look at this. Introducing New Zealand's newest political party. Sustainable New Zealand is neither left nor right but out in front. Promising a new vehicle for voters passionate about the environment.
2: Until now, if you've wanted to vote for the environment, you've had to support a party that has been kind of a clearinghouse for New Zealand's left of Labour activist movements as well as an environmental party.
0: A Green Party alternative sitting in the centre.
2: Wouldn't it be great if we had an environmentally focused party that was able to work with either side? So, are the Greens worried about
0: this new political party trying to attract their voters and attacking them? Well, neither of their co-leaders were available to be interviewed, but a spokesperson for the party said that their research shows that any support for a teal party like this would be minuscule, and they said anyone who did vote for them would be coming from National. National though, happy to talk.
1: They're not linked with National or Labour. Uh, certainly we've had nothing to do with them as they've been setting themselves up and going about it, so I think that uh, the Greens should be worried.
0: Sustainable New Zealand's first policy, $1 billion for conservation. We would take this money out of the bloated Shane Jones Provincial Growth Fund.
2: And hoping to get 10%
0: of the vote in 2020.
2: We're not just taking votes off national. You know, we've got disgruntled Greens. We've got some um, people who voted for uh, Jacinda last election.
0: Now just the tricky part left, meeting these high expectations. Neither left nor right, but out in front. I quite enjoyed that line. Um, But yeah, another sort of highlight there was them thinking that they're going to get to 10%. I do ambitious. love. I do love
1: minor parties who uh, kick off yes. with those. So I think. I think. Top said that. That they were going to get to around 10% at the last election
3: as well. Mm. So. It just seems bonkers. When I heard that, I was just like, oh, you almost convinced me, mate. And then you said 10%. And I was like, hmm, yeah, okay. Yeah. I think you'd <laughs> yes. find that was the
1: end of the Green Party for starters if they got 10%. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's that the game, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. Well,
0: that was one of the kind of interesting things, right, at, at the weekend, because clearly um, Vernon Tarver set this up to try and, um, you know, offer voters who are keen on the environment a more. A more kind of centrist party, although obviously the Greens have numerous critics that say that they've gone too far to the centre themselves. Um, and the Green Party's response at the weekend was sort of to stick their fingers in their ears and go, la, 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 I can't hear you.
1: Probably um, the best strategy, pretend yeah, they're not there.
0: Yeah, yeah, and totally ignored them and, and gave us a little statement um, saying there would be, what was it, um, minuscule support um, for a party. Like this, it will be interesting to see if they, um, you know, t- do start to register on our polls mm. and stuff like that. Whether there is that market, um, you know, for a new sort of more central environmental. And also, party. how
1: much backing they get. you've got to think they've got some backers there, some some supporters there financially to help them out with this. I mean, Vernon Tava's tried to uh, be involved in a number of political parties now, and it hasn't gone to well. And hasn't, got, you know, yeah. it hasn't been overly successful. Um, but there's clearly you know again you've got to think that perhaps it's it's national supporters testing the waters a little bit to see to see if there is support for a party like that and and to have another party you know there's been a lot of talk about the fact that there's um you know we only now we have so few parties in parliament now compared to what we had last term so you know is there room for that
3: and National mm. obviously needs friends. So if, you know their members mm. want to think strategically. Then maybe there is a conversation to be had. Obviously behind closed doors, they wouldn't want to have it too publicly. I um, mean, I think Paula Paula Bennett struck the balance there, right? Her first comments there were, um, you know, they're, they're neither going to work with, or you know, they're neither side sidling. Uh, sliding up to Labour or National. Um, they're saying they'll go either way. Um, and, you know, that's what, that's what National wants, is just some friends, but not to look too close because it could take votes from either the Greens or Nationals. So mm. they don't want to get too close where they lose too many votes themselves, but they would probably like to test the waters and see if they can get another friend out of there. The only thing that I would say is, is that... Vernon Tava's talking about, you know, um, the Green Party um, currently in Parliament has gone to left and, you know, um, and he's trying to um, pitch the, their new party as less activists, yeah. more business less, friendly. Less sort
0: of social justice. Social yeah. justice Which yeah. is
3: right what got the Green Party in trouble a little bit there with Matidia today, And then Martima Davidson was also sort of helping the party slide back into that trouble spot there with, you know, sort of driving those issues around revitalising the original word of, you know, the C word and Mm. all of that sort of stuff. We've seen her quiet down a little bit um, recently. Um, But then he comes out and he says we're going to take a billion dollars out of the PGF, which is sort of, you know, for the regions growing business and that sort of thing and put it in conservation. (laughs) So, you know, and then he backs that up by saying, and by the way, we're going to get 10%, which is just some big, bold ideas. Um, So I don't know if that's the best strategy to go so far with those kind of big, bold Ideas. Um, when, but I guess that's what you can do when you're a minor party. And you're not in parliament. You yeah. don't have to. At this stage,
1: he doesn't have to compromise, does he?
3: No, but so you don't can... want to paint yourself to be part of the of the dare I say, it, nutty greens. Um, and so you just got to be careful when you're sort of putting out those sort of big bold ideas, like a billion dollars from the PGF into conservation and a ten percent polling number.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I wanna I, I kind of had a bit of a chuckle when he, you know, was said he was going to take that off Shane Jones and, and I pump can it see into that going down well. Conservation. Yeah. Mm, mm.
3: <laughs> this was One News inside Parliament. Our weekly catch up about the political stories we've been covering. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. It's available around this time each week on One News, and check us out on your favourite podcasting app. Bye. See you later. Ciao.